Would you please pray with me? Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth are yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. For your present and promised kingdom, we thank you, God, and we praise your glorious name. As we examine this passage of Ephesians, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, expose our sin, and turn us from all darkness to light. I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom to walk wisely as true children of light. And Lord, fill me, your humble servant, with your words for your beloved children. This I ask in the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is your first thought when you wake up each morning? Do you open your eyes, stretch out your arms, and say, I feel shiny? Sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Well, it is crazy. Years ago on a TV sitcom, one of the show's characters was pretending to be crazy so he didn't have to go to work and he could continue to mooch off of his family. And he would often sing senseless songs or utter random thoughts. And one of the funniest moments was when he puffed up his chest, grinned broadly and said, I feel shiny. As we studied this lesson, that thought came back to me. But as believers, we should not feel shiny. We should be shiny, not in a crazy way, but in a redeemed way. Jesus Christ has redeemed us, and he has given us a new life that is to be bright and shiny. We are to be filled with the light of life given to us by the light of the world. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 by simply saying, imitate God. Paul has been saying that knowing who we are and what we believe changes how we behave. This is the theme that runs through Ephesians chapter 4 and now spills over into Ephesians chapter 5. Theologian John Stott says that Paul emphasizes that being, thought, and action belong together and must never be separated. Good conduct arises out of good doctrine. It is only when we have grasped clearly who we are in Christ that the desire will grow within us to live a life worthy of our calling and fitting to our character as God's new society. So have you grasped who you are in Christ through our study of Ephesians this year? How has it transformed you? You have been taught good doctrine, solid doctrine. Every week we have covered doctrines like covenants, the church, the will of God, the love of God, repentance, sanctification, union with Christ. How has your conduct changed because you have studied those doctrines? Is Christ's shine in you a little shinier? Or do you need a deeper understanding of God's extraordinary, extravagant, and eternal love? 
for you. Our flesh, the world, and the devil all specialize in tearing us down by whispering lies to our souls about how awful and unloved we are. But ladies, let me tell you, in Christ, none of that is true. Believers are loved with a fierce love, the love of a holy heavenly father for his chosen and beloved adopted children. Believer, that is your identity, beloved child of God. Being so dearly loved motivates us to live a life that imitates him, reflects him, and shines for him. This is what Paul declares in the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5. The rest of the passage expands on this incredible truth and teaches us that God's beloved children are exhibitions of his light. So let's take a closer look at that truth in two divisions, pure love and pure light. Our first division is pure love, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This verse begins with one of several therefores in this passage. Now, whenever we see this in Scripture, it refers back to something important. We want to keep scripture in context. So we must always stop and examine what the therefore is there for. This therefore links us back to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 31 through 32, which says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, why would we want to do these things? If we're, if we're honest, it's far easier to give into the flesh and go along with the world. Our flesh delights in bitterness, anger, and slander. Our culture glamorizes and glorifies such behavior. What could possibly motivate us to live with countercultural kindness, tenderheartedness, and Christ-like forgiveness? One thing. God's pure and perfect love for us. 1 Peter 4.8 tells us, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The problem is, you and I do not naturally have this kind of love in our hearts. Paul knew this, so he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Then he carefully connects this command to the fact that we are God's beloved children. You see, believers have a head start when it comes to imitating God. Though every human being bears God's image, believers house God himself. Our salvation comes with the very presence of God. His Shekinah, or shining glory, dwells in our bodies. We are his temples. This should fill us with inexpressible and glorious joy. Do you feel shiny? A glow with the joy of his presence? 
If you have been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's shining presence is already in you. You are shiny, a beloved child who is a beautiful exhibition of his light. And as you imitate God, you will begin to walk in love. Because as we have learned, God is not just loving, he is love. He loves all his children the same way he loves his son, Jesus. In Matthew 3.17, God says of Jesus, this is my beloved son. In Ephesians 5.1, he says of you, this is my beloved daughter. Such high and holy love ought to result in our loving him and others in how we live. This is what Paul says in verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now the love that is described here is a gospel love, a self-sacrificing love. Jesus Christ set the example. When our sin earned us death, He expressed the depths of his love for us by laying down his life for us. He died in our place to appease God's just wrath against our sin. This is what Paul has in mind when he says that Christ's death on the cross was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were burned on the temple altar. And the aroma rising up to God was considered fragrant because it indicated that the sacrifice was pleasing to God. Christ's death on the cross as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God was the only sacrifice that could please God and turn his wrath away from sinners like you and me. His love is the ultimate sacrificial love. We exhibit this kind of love by dying to self to become living sacrifices. John Stott says that the same verb for self-giving is used of the heathen in Ephesians 4.19. They give themselves up to immorality. We, like Christ, are to give ourselves up to love. Such self-giving for others is pleasing to God. As with Christ, so with us. Self-sacrificial love is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It is thus a striking truth that sacrificial love for others becomes a sacrifice acceptable to God. Now, none, none of this is possible apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit abundantly pours out God's love into our hearts. It is his love that enables us to love as he loves. This is the only way that God's beloved children exhibit his light. In verse 3, Paul moves from self-sacrifice to highlight its exact opposite, self indulgence. 
He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, I want you to note that Paul addresses believers as saints here. He does so to remind them that they are set-apart ones. It's literally what saints means. They're set-apart ones. Ones called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. You see, saints are shining. They're exhibitions of Christ's light. Dark, worldly behavior is completely incompatible with the shining God glory that dwells in a saint. Paul says such behavior must not even be named among believers. No hint, no trace of it should be found. That sounds impossible, doesn't it? Warren Wearsby says that sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, all express the same basic weakness of our fallen nature, an uncontrolled appetite. Now, if you've ever been on a diet, you know exactly what that feels like. Our appetites are often impossible to control. Are we then helpless in our battle against such dark behavior? No. Theologian Alec Motyer says when his people cannot rise to the height of his standards. The Lord doesn't lower his standards to match their ability. He transforms his people. This transformation is the sanctification we learned about in Ephesians chapter 4. That sanctification, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. But he requires believers to cooperate with him in this work. We do so not to earn anything from God, but in response to God's love for us. Because we know that we are beloved, cherished, and treasured by God, we pursue the purity that pleases him. This purity puts his light on display. God's beloved children are then exhibitions of his light. Verse 4 addresses the impurity that flows out of our mouths. Now in Luke 6.45, Jesus teaches us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember that as Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. You see, saints... Fill their hearts and their minds with the truth about God so that thanksgiving flows out of their mouths. Filthiness and foolishness are out of place. Again, completely incompatible with the saint. Brian Chappell says that we need a sin-starvation diet. He says what turns down the intensity of improper lust is starving it of improper fuel. Indulging in sexual impurities or speech of speech, thought, and entertainment will feed the power of sin in our lives. Why is Thanksgiving the proper substitute for impurity? Because it is the replacement of idol worship with the worship of God. When God's beloved children 
know that they are so loved by him. They choose to live a sacrificial, pure, holy life. Now, Paul has assured us of God's love for us, not only in verse 1 of chapter 5, but throughout his letter to the Ephesian believers. Now, he points to the certain possession of every beloved child of God, our heavenly inheritance. But he does so through a warning. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now the kingdom of Christ and God refers to what the Bible often calls the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. This describes God's sovereign rule and reign throughout the course of human history. While the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is not used in the Old Testament, you do see recorded there clear evidence of God's established rule over all creation and all earthly kingdoms. When God promised King David that his descendant, the Messiah, would reign forever over a kingdom with no end, he is speaking of the kingdom of God. This kingdom is a present reality, as in right now, and it is the reality where God rules and reigns over all things. However, Jesus also taught us to pray, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God comes as the gospel is shared and as people embrace the reign and rule of God in their lives. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet inaugurated, but not fully consummated. When Jesus, who is the king of kings, returns, his kingdom will be established in all its fullness and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. But Paul says that those who persist in immoral, impure living will not inherit this kingdom. Though he addresses unbelievers here, Kent Hughes comments, do Christians fall into these sins? Of course, but true Christians will not persist in them, for persistence in sensuality is a graceless state. Tony Merida adds, this warning emphasizes how foolish worldly pursuits are from a kingdom perspective. This warning is instructive to the believer as it calls him or her to pursue the kingdom and its righteousness over fleeting pleasures. Paul says that the fate of the disobedient or unbelievers is dire. Instead of God's kingdom, God's wrath awaits them. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Holy children, beloved by God. Jesus Christ absorbed this wrath for you on the cross. Still, be warned. Do not be deceived by anything that this world tells you. 
Because of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, or greed, and corrupt, obscene speech, because of these things, God's wrath is coming. That tells us that these are terrible sins. And as Hebrews 10.31 warns, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So Christian, run the other way. Imitate God. This involves a pursuit of absolute purity, sacrificial love, and personal holiness. It it involves repenting of your sin nature and its fleshly behaviors so that you will grow in Christ-likeness. This is a life long process because we are God's beloved children. We will exhibit his light and we will do so with an ever-increasing Christ-like love and purity. That's our first truth is that God's beloved children exhibit his light with an ever-increasing Christ-like love and purity. What would those who know you best say about how your life exhibits Christ-like love and purity? How have these qualities increased over the past few years? Which area needs more growth? If you want to be a shiny saint... Follow Paul's instructions here. Choose morality over immorality, purity over impurity, and thanksgiving over sinful speech. The degree to which you shine is the degree to which you imitate God's love and purity in all you do. Is your shine an exhibition of your Savior's love and purity? Or do you need to absorb more of the light of the world? In our next division, his pure light is revealed as Paul urges us to walk as children of light. So our second division is pure light, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 17. Verses 7 through 10. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and and, uh, right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This section of our passage begins with another therefore. Points us back to verse 6, which spoke of the sons of disobedience. They are destined for God's wrath. Paul now says that believers are not to become partners with them. God's children are different, distinct, polar opposites to those walking in disobedience to the reign and rule of God. Yet in verse 8, Paul reminds us that at one time we were darkness. And did you catch that? We were not walking in darkness. We were darkness, sinful to the very core, totally depraved. Brings us back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which says that we were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which we all once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, but God, so great is his love for us that he has transformed us from children of wrath to children of light. Does that not motivate you to walk as a child of light? Does that not motivate you to do everything that you can to imitate your God, your Lord, your Savior? Now, Paul is careful to say that though once we were darkness, we are now light in the Lord. No light on our own. In the Lord. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the very source of light. Believers are infused with his light. Child of God, Christ has made you shiny. To walk as children of light means to walk before God's all-seeing gaze unashamed. With nothing to hide. As God's beloved children... You are exhibitions of his light. You and I can only do that, though, if we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are light. We must walk as children of light. In verse 9, Paul summarizes what that looks like in a parenthetical statement. And I love that he made this so easy that we cannot possibly forget it as we're walking around trying to be children of light. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. Good, right, and true. Can you remember that? So easy. Good, right, and true. Warren Wiersbe gives us very succinct definitions of these three characteristics. He says, goodness is love in action. Righteousness is rightness of character before God and rightness of actions before men. Both of these qualities are based on what is true or truth, which is conformity to the word and will of God. Paul continues to expand on his command that believers walk as children of light in verse 10, saying, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, Paul has already instructed us on what is pleasing to the Lord. He has told us that we please the Lord when we live and we love sacrificially. We please the Lord when we conform to or obey his word and will. We please the Lord when we put our sin nature on a starvation diet. We please the Lord when we live out our identity as beloved children of God. And we grow in Christ-like love and purity. Additionally, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 4, we please the Lord when we put off our sinful behavior and put on godly behavior. 
Walk as children of light and do what is pleasing to the Lord. God's great love for us motivates us to be living, breathing exhibitions of his light. We are called to exhibit his life and so expose the darkness. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Believers are God's chosen covenant people. His royal priesthood, a holy nation. They have received his mercy to declare his praises. Child of God, you were called out of darkness into his wonderful light to shine. Your task is to be shiny. Shine forth, shiny people. Shine. God's love in you is as clear and brilliant as the darkness is oppressive. God wants you to use his shine in you to not only expose the darkness, but to attract people to Christ. Have you ever been around a bunch of monkeys? If you have, you'll know that if you have anything shiny on, they will attack you. They are irresistibly drawn to shiny things. In the same way, when believers shine Christ's light, unbelievers are attracted to him. Because this is the Christian's call, Paul says in verse 12, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. In other words, we are not to exalt the darkness. We are not to engage the darkness. And we are not to exhibit darkness. We expose it, shine the light of Christ by living a holy life, an honorable life. As God's beloved child, live in a way that is compatible with Christ's life in you. Walking as a child of light exposes darkness. It makes it visible. Verses 13 through the first part of verse 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Light reveals deeds that are secretive and shameful. Light reveals what is a sham and a sin. When such things are exposed in the life of a believer, the gospel of Jesus Christ is unattractive and unappealing. But the last part of verse 14 speaks of the transforming work of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Therefore, that points back, therefore, because light exposes the darkness, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Commentator Tony Merida summarizes this well. He says, when awakened Christians who were once darkness but are now light, shine the light of truth and righteousness in a dark world with their words and deeds. They make visible the shameful and secretive deeds of darkness. They may also be used to help those in darkness come to the light themselves. This is also the reason children of light must walk carefully 
and wisely. Verses 15 through 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Have you seen any evil in our days? It's everywhere. The Greek word here means to buy up at a marketplace. Opportunity is regarded as a commodity to be used by believers. Children of light steward the opportunity, the commodity of opportunity wisely. They don't waste time and energy on what is dark, worldly, or frivolous. Instead, they shine the light of the gospel with every thought, word, and deed so that the watching world sees Christ and his life-changing power. God's beloved children are exhibitions of his light. And our world today is in dire need of his light. So Paul urges in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In this context, the will of the Lord is for you to be shiny. God calls all his beloved children to love sacrificially, pursue purity, and live according to the light that fills your souls. In short, beloved children, live like the light of the world. We're to imitate him. Our second truth is that God's beloved children exhibit his light as they live like the light of the world. How does your conduct reflect that you are a child of light? If an audit were performed on your daily schedule, what would it say about how you use your time? Would it reveal hours frittered away on foolish worldly pursuits? Or a relentless prioritizing of everything that shines the light of Christ? Scripture records the life of Jesus Christ beautifully and eloquently. But the best description of the life of Christ is his living biography written out in the words and actions of his people, the church. God's beloved children exhibit his light as they live like the light of the world. They are called to so faithfully and so powerfully shine the light of Jesus that the watching world can't help but say, oh, that one? She belongs to Christ. How shiny are you? Shiny enough to make an impact on the watching world? Shiny enough to be a living exhibition of the light of the world? Shiny enough to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and how you live your life? Shiny enough to cause others to look for the coming kingdom of the King of Kings? The only proper response to God's enduring love for you is to live as an exhibition of God's shining glory. That is God's command for you. Shine forth, shiny one. Shine. Each morning when you open your eyes to a brand new day, puff up your chest, 
grin broadly and say, I am shiny. Then, beloved child of God, get up and shine and keep on shining until the whole earth is filled with the shining glory of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, blessed are you, Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonderful things. Blessed be your glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with your glory. Use your beloved children to shine forth your glory every day that we draw breath on this earth. Show us how to make your gospel attractive. Remind us of how deeply you love us and that we are exhibitions of your light in this dark world. Shine the light of the knowledge of your glory and majesty in our hearts as we fix our gaze on the clearly revealed face of Christ in your word. He is the light of the world, and he is our Lord and Savior. It is in his beautiful, glorious, and shining name that I pray. Amen.